The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, the grain and oilseed markets continue to be volatile. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo. A potential strike of BC port workers is looming. We'll hear from Jim Smolik with the Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association, and he'll tell us about their concerns about a possible strike which could begin tomorrow. Manitoba Agriculture has issued its latest crop pest update. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlosky will tell us which insects are major problems in our neighboring province. And the Yorkton 4-H show and sale is being held next week in conjunction with the Yorkton Exhibition Summer Fair. Kiara Harluck of the Sheho 4-H Club will join us on today's program. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we have a mainly sunny sky here today. It looks like a pretty nice weekend for a long weekend. Yeah, we have uh, temperatures running warm. They will actually be peaking for the weekend, then dropping back. So we don't fill out the entire long weekend with the uh, very warm temperatures, but we're likely still at the very least near to above normal by Monday. Today, no problem. We're in the upper 20s. Uh, The little fog, a little haze, a little smoke, a little cloudiness, but a partly to mostly sunny day with a high in the upper 20s. Partly to mostly cloudy tonight. There is a chance we get a sprinkle rolling in late in the night. Our low is 16, and that chance of showers is there tomorrow as well, the high into the upper 20s. Partly sunny overall, though, the chances of showers are low. They're possible tonight and tomorrow, but there's only a 20% chance. It's a pretty weak disturbance that's coming through. It'll move on by, and we get back to the dry weather. There's not really a big drop in the temperature Sunday. It looks like we'll still hold on at least most of the region in the upper 20s. Some areas to the west will start to back down mid-20s. We'll get there on Monday. And again, there is a chance for a couple of showers uh, with that next system coming through, which is later Monday. So a series of disturbances as a lot of these things track around an upper-level low that's sitting off to our east. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a cooler air mass dropping once that clears out. First, it gets as dry, and that's why we have some decent days uh, for Sunday especially and uh, even most of Monday. By Tuesday, we get into a bit of a drearier pattern. Just for some showers and drizzle, and temperatures may struggle a bit on Tuesday into the upper teens, so we'll salvage the weekend before we break into that slightly different pattern. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at 28 degrees. Swan River and Dauphin, 27. Brandon, 26. Show Lake Russell and Roblin, 25. 
Regina is at 27 degrees, Saskatoon 30, Hudson Bay, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington 26, Broadview, Mooseman 24. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a west wind at 5 kilometers an hour, 40% is the relative humidity, the temperature is 26 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of 25 degrees and dropped to a low of 12 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is 23 degrees. The normal low is 11 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 4.38 this morning, and it will set at 9.09 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Tadouli Lake at 31 degrees. The cold spot was Tadouli Lake at 10 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Maple Creek, which got up to 32 degrees. The cold spot was a tie between Rosetown and Spiritwood, which bro both dropped down to 7 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return right after these messages. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. The grain and oilseed markets continue to be volatile. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo says the Ice Futures November canola contract is up about $30 on the week. When looking at a chart here, if we do hold these gains on the day, uh, we could be breaking higher on some technical trends. So uh, that could be uh, positive for farms that are maybe still looking to sell some old crop or, or protect a new crop. So again, quite a bit of news came out this week with Wednesday Statistics Canada releasing their planted acres report. Uh, they reported Canadian farmers planting more wheat, canola, barley, corn, and soybeans, uh, but fewer acres of oats, lentils, and dry peas. So with the canola seeded acres reported to be higher uh, at approximately 22.1 million acres, uh, you would think that would be a little bit bearish uh, for canola prices kind of going forward. However, I do believe that, you know, we definitely have some dry areas all across the prairies. And then as well, too, that's only kind of one factor to watch. So today, here, soybeans, uh, kind of some surprise numbers from the USDA. Uh, planted acres were way below expectations, as well as soybean stocks uh, below expectations as well, too. So uh, soybeans uh, were up approximately 80 cents a bushel, uh, kind of here after the report. Uh, that as well, too, is kind of influenced soybean oil breaking higher and soybean meal. So uh, those could definitely be positive factors for canola prices going forward here um, and as well too it's uh, a little bit different of a story on the wheat front though the wheat markets are actually uh, down here uh, slightly on Chicago and Minneapolis uh, the Minneapolis contract is down about 45 cents a bushel uh, here this week 
probably closer to 50 as we're talking. Um, and that's actually one important thing to note is that uh, these grain markets are, are moving quite a bit today. So uh, by the close, you, you definitely could have some different prices for sure. Pacallo then provides his take on today's USDA report. So corn acres were way above expectations. So we're seeing again corn down here about 20 cents a bushel. As I mentioned, soybean uh, acres were way below expectations. So why we're seeing them spike here. And and as well too, uh, wheat acres, uh, just to touch on that, were around the trade expectations. So not too much movement there. Um, In terms of the quarterly stocks, uh, corn and uh, soybeans were lower. Wheat was uh, slightly lower as well, too. So traders were more watching the planted acres. And I do believe, though, that while this USDA report will will set the tone, I think, kind of a little bit for the grain markets today and going forward, next week, Monday's crop conditions report. Uh, Again, it's not a holiday in the States. Uh, The Tuesday is the holiday. So Monday, U.S. markets are still trading. I I do believe that crop conditions report is something that traders are really going to be watching closely just because in in certain areas of how dry it really is. And he provides an outlook for next week and beyond. Well, I think, again, one of the biggest things is to see how the canola market will actually respond here if if beans are going to be going higher. It's, again, breaking higher on the charts here. I've had a lot of clients protect around that 700 level, and we may do another round of of put options for protection for suitable clients uh, if we do see a little bit more of a spike higher here. As well, too, another factor, I think, for grains, uh, we talked about this last week, is how the U.S. dollar, I think, is kind of maybe looking like it might be losing steam and going lower. So with the U.S. dollar going lower, that might help grain prices go up higher here because uh, the stock market is looking to kind of end June here on a a really strong note. And uh, actually, July is one of the strongest months of the year for the S&P 500. So uh, if we see risk on for, you know, maybe some of the stock market type of uh, investments, we might see as well too uh, buying on, on the commodity side potentially. Adam Piccolo is a Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Co-op Hail Insurance. Beef and Forage Report. A heifer whose tissues tested positive for bovine tuberculosis, or TB, at slaughter in the U.S., has been traced back to a Saskatchewan cattle herd, which has now turned up two more cases of the disease. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency, in a report dated Wednesday, said it was notified February 23rd by the U.S. Department of Agriculture that tissues from an animal at slaughter had a positive test for bovine TB. The TB-positive heifer's herd of origin in Saskatchewan was put under quarantine until testing could be done after spring calving. All animals over six months old in that herd were tested for the disease last month. In a separate notice to producers Wednesday, the CFIA said the new findings should not affect Canada's current international status, in which all provinces are considered bovine TB-free, a status which supports international trade for Canada's beef industry. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. 
It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program. That's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. EX94, Agri-Review. The Canadian Chamber of Commerce has joined B.C. Premier David Eby and federal ministers urging port workers and employers to find a way to avert a strike. It says the shutdown of Western Canadian ports would fuel inflation, increase costs for people and businesses, and seriously damage the economy. The union representing port workers in B.C. issued a 72-hour strike notice Wednesday, saying members are ready to take strike action tomorrow. It has said contracting out, port automation, and cost of living are key issues in the dispute. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau is in Italy to take part in the biennial conference of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, otherwise known as FAO. During her outreach, she will also work with stakeholders to advance Canadian agriculture and agri-food trade and promote the safety and quality of Canadian exports. Minister Bebo is expected to be formally elected as chair of the FAO conference on its first day. Minister Bebo will be the first female agriculture minister to be in the role and the first Canadian to chair since 1997. The chair presides over the gathering of the full membership of the FAO, facilitating the exchange of views among all members as they work together towards global food security and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. The full FAO membership convenes every two years. The middle of the United States is extraordinarily dry. Crops are stressed, rivers are running low, and cities and towns are anxiously hoping for a break in the weather. Experts say it's the worst drought in the central U.S. since at least 2012. In some areas, it's drawing comparisons to the 1988 drought that devastated corn, wheat, and soybean crops. On Mike Shane's Illinois farm, corn should be standing 10 feet tall by now. He says it's barely to his waist. Reduced corn yields won't necessarily mean higher costs for consumers because much of it is used for feed, ethanol, or is exported. The real impact is on the farmers, whose cost per acre is the same regardless of how much they produce. Smaller meat and poultry operators in 17 U.S. states will receive $115 million in grants. The U.S. Department of Agriculture announced the funding Thursday. The grants are the latest in a series of awards President Joe Biden's administration has made that are intended to increase meat and poultry processing, benefiting farmers and providing more job opportunities in largely rural areas. The funding includes 10 awards to recipients in 12 states, totaling $77 million through a program that finances the startup or expansion of meat and poultry processing plants. The USDA has made five awards, totaling $38 million through a processing expansion program that will help independent producers 
in five states. Canopy Growth Corporation says it has completed the sale of its facility in Modesto, California. The cannabis company is selling some of its facilities as part of an organizational transformation announced last year to help cut spending. It says it has now sold five facilities for $81 million since April 1st. Canopy expects to raise up to $150 million from facility sales by September 30th. The company also announced the appointment of PKF O'Connor Davies LLP as its accounting firm and accepted the resignation of KPMG LLP from the role. Canopy says the move reflects a joint decision between the company and KPMG. The provincial government, in partnership with other organizations, is launching a new initiative to support the mental health of farmers while promoting farm safety in New Brunswick. As part of the initiative, a website has been developed as a hub where mental health and wellness training, tools and resources will be easily accessible. This comes after a 2021 University of Guelph research study found 76% of farmers said they were under moderate or high stress. The same study saw one in four Canadian farmers say they had had suicidal thoughts over the past two years. And be sure to listen to the latest GX on Agriculture podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny at 26 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. A potential strike of B.C. port workers is looming. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada said on Wednesday its members voted 99.24% in favour of strike action and could walk off the job tomorrow. Jim Smolik with the Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association notes the organization is a member of the Coalition of Rail Shippers and are watching this closely. There's a letter has gone to the uh, the appropriate ministers in Ottawa uh, in regard to this, you know, the the possibility of strike. This was sent before uh, when they were still uh, before they had the opportunity strike, so before June 24th. Uh, and you know, uh, again, we're we're concerned, um, you know, and uh, we're on the shore concern because the coalition of rail car shippers is certainly more than grain. Uh, yeah, it includes lumber and fertilizer and, and, you know, virtually everything, but, I mean, it has a huge impact, uh, you know, to the Canadian economy. Generally speaking, so this is the lo- um, local 514 ship and dock foreman, and so some of this, again, there's a bit of, um, you know, detail in that uh, we're not really sure of yet, uh, but uh, the, the longshore are generally exempt um, uh, to strike when it comes to, to loading grain ships, uh, so they, uh, they cannot strike uh, when, you know, uh, to loading vessels. The, the, the question is, uh, how would this, any cascading impact of, of the port, uh, you know, if there was a strike, how, how would that cascading impact, uh, you know, impact the grain, the grain sector, right? And uh, so, you know, just identifying that, uh, you know, we are very concerned and, and we, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that this is uh, looked after very quickly, if in, you know, in, in any event. Now, I do know that, um, you know, the U.S. West Coast Longshore have reached, a, you know, a six-year tentative agreement on 29 ports, so... You know, that, again, we don't want to get ourselves put in a competitive disadvantage, right? So that's, you know, that's been our concerns related to the ministers. 
He says this possible strike action reminds him of the PSAC strike a few months ago. Yeah, no, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that in that in that case, uh, the, the PSAC strike, the uh, the Canadian Grain Commission actually uh, does the uh, oversight for inspection and weighing of those vessels, and and uh, uh, we uh, we do appreciate that Minister Bibot did find a workaround uh, and ex- and exempted uh, you know the, uh, the her exemptions which she put in place to allow third parties to do that uh, did not have an impact on grain, so we, we're very appreciative of that. And so, you know, we want to make sure, we, you know, that, uh, again, the, the appropriate ministers understand the impact uh, that this uh, will have in this possible strike. But Smolik says it's hard to gauge how much of an impact this potential West Coast port worker strike could have on farmers. Yeah, and that, that, that's where, again, I said, like, I think the, um, you know, what's that cascading impact uh, for, for grains and oil seeds, that, that is going to be very hard to uh, to, you know, put, put something, uh, put a number to, you know, because, uh, you know, like, like I said, the, you know, like long, short can't strike uh, loading a, a grain vessel. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's legislation that, that won't allow them to strike. So uh, if, if it does this other, um, you know, the local uh, of dock, uh, dock foreman's, uh, you know, has a cascading impact somehow of getting vessels moved through the port or into the, into, into uh, even if it's a grain vessel, if it has a cascading impact of having it actually burst, uh, you know, to then uh, uh, then that that could have an impact, but we're just we can't really. We're, that'd be very speculative right now to to try and come up with a um, kind of an idea of what that might cost. The main issues in the dispute are contracting out, port automation, and the cost of living. Both sides continue to meet with the assistance of a federal mediator. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for August closed at 177.17 today. That's up 267. October live cattle closed at 179.55, up 187. August feeder cattle closed at 247.57, up 520. September feeder cattle closed at 250.82, up 502. July lean hogs closed at 95.65, up 20. August lean hogs closed at 92.60, up 27. And that's the livestock market conditions. Manitoba Agriculture has issued its latest crop pest update. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlosky says armyworms have become a major issue in a number of cereal and forage crops in the province. Yeah, armyworms are one of the big uh, insect concerns right now for people growing field crops, especially cereals and forage grasses. And they're an insect that migrates in. They they don't overwinter here. They migrate in, and uh, they can be wind-assisted as well. But it's a purposeful migration. And some years we get them, but they're very localized. This year, it seems all agricultural regions of the province have them uh, to some degree, some areas more than others. And uh, in, in all agricultural regions, though, there's been at least some fields that have had to be sprayed to control them. Uh, populations are quite high right now. And the caterpillars generally live for about um, close to three weeks. And they're starting to get pretty big. So hopefully we'll be out of this cycle soon. But for the time being, for the next at least week or so, a good idea just to check your cereal crops, forage grasses, 
We've even seen them doing some damage in pastures. So check those things and just see what your armyworm levels might be. He notes grasshoppers continue to be a problem as well. Yeah, you know, with the grasshoppers, it, it, it really is patchy. There are some areas where they're there, but they're, they're not at levels that would be of economic concern. And then there's other areas where the populations are quite thick. And it's uh, really two different species that we're seeing right now. There's one called the two-striped grasshopper that uh, is quite a generalist. It feeds on lots of things. It seems to be uh, our more widespread dominant species. But then we've got these pockets of a species called clear-winged grasshopper, which is a grass specialist. Uh, It feeds only on grassy plants. So in that case, it would be, once again, your cereals, your forage grasses, pastures, things like that, where they would be doing their feeding and they can be very patchy where you'll get these big huge groups of them in a field but then you go a little ways down the road and you're not really seeing much so they can be very patchy that species and there seems to be some pockets especially more in the central region of the province that have a lot of the clearwind grasshoppers. Gavlosky says sunflower bud moths have now been spotted in Manitoba. More in the central region, interlake region, and what it is, is, it's a moth that lays eggs onto sunflower stems or sometimes even the fleshy part of the head. And the caterpillar will burrow right into the stem or head. And so they're, and they're making a little tunnel in there. Um, the tunneling usually isn't of great economic concern unless it's getting into the head and the head starts deforming because of it. That's when it causes uh, more issues. What is maybe unfortunate for the caterpillar is it it keeps its tunnels pretty clean. It moves all its excrement, its feces, uh, outside of its tunnel. And you get these piles of black feces in the leaf axles and on the ends of the the, the buds. And agronomists and farmers, they see that, and they know that there's a worm in there. So they they leave a little visible uh, marker that they're present in the plant, uh, which can alarm a lot of people usually it's it's a minor thing it's not of great economic significance but there can be exceptions if we do see a lot of it uh, causing head deformation he notes alfalfa weevils and pea leaf weevils continue to be a concern yeah two different weevils uh, affecting uh, really different crops alfalfa weevil uh, would be in your alfalfa and what is the issue there is the, the larval stage, which is a, a green larva with a white stripe down the back. And they like to feed up on the top of the alfalfa plants. And you'll notice a little bit of a, a white sheen across the top of uh, parts of the field if there's a lot of them from all the defoliation that they're doing up at the top. One of the easy ways to manage them is just to cut your uh, alfalfa a little bit early uh, they, they can't move too far. Uh, they don't really have functional legs. So they often desiccate or starve to death after the crop's been cut. But if you have a lot of rain right after the cut and the regrowth comes up really quickly, uh, just keep an eye on levels on that regrowth. And pea leaf weevil, I should mention, is a, a pea issue. We're seeing notching from the adults on the edges of the um, the pea plants. But that's not really the issue with pea leaf weevil. The, the issue is that the larvae will feed on the nodules growing on the roots of the plant, and the nodules produce nitrogen for the plant. So if too many larvae destroy too many nodules, you end up with a plant with less nitrogen. 
Gavlowski has also come across the green clover worm in Manitoba. That's another one that blows in or moves from the south. We don't really see a lot of them in many years, but every now and then they make an appearance in the mainly soybeans and dry beans. That's what they like. So they're, they're more of a legumes are their preference. And uh, so we've been getting a few calls in soybeans and dry beans. Right now, not economic levels. So there's been no spraying for them, but something people are just keeping an eye on. Uh, they can be a little deceiving because the way they feed, they like to feed at the very top of the canopy. So when you're walking in the field, looking down, you see they're feeding because it's on those upper leaves. And soybeans are really good at compensating for defoliation. Uh, you would need at least uh, in the vegetative stages about 30, 30, 35% defoliation overall on the plant for it to be economical. Uh, now, some of those upper leaves might have that level, but on the whole plant, when you consider all the other leaves, uh, usually you're well below that. So it's just one thing you have to be careful when you're scouting, not to be overly alarmed uh, if it's just some of the upper leaves that are being fed on. He notes their diamondback moth traps have come across varying numbers over the past week. Well, we, we have had some counts in the uh, eastern and central region that were quite high, especially that Bozager area. One of our uh, traps over its trapping period of May and June collected over 500 moths, which is a considerable amount. And uh, the trap near Altona is near 300. So we, we have had some fairly high trap counts. But right now, we are finding larvae. We haven't had any economic populations detected or reported yet. But we can find diamondback larvae in a lot of the fields. So this is a time where it's good if you're out scouting your canola. Shake a few of the plants and just see how many diamondback moths can be shaken out of about a foot square of plants. And that's how you, how you would determine if your field has an economic level or not. And he says Bertha armyworm traps haven't been busy. Still fairly low levels. Everything is still rating as low risk. So, yeah, not, nothing too high to report there. Dr. John Gavlosky is the provincial entomologist for Manitoba Agriculture, and he's based in Carmen. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up next. A commodities update. Canola futures closed up across the board today very sharply. November canola closed at 736.40, up $25.40. January canola closed at 742.90, up $26.40. Minneapolis wheat is still trading. September Minneapolis wheat is at 812 and 3 quarters, down 12 and 3 quarters of a cent. September Kansas City wheat closed at $8 per bushel, unchanged from yesterday's close. September Chicago wheat closed at $6.51 per bushel, down 16 and a half cents. September corn closed at $4.88 and a half, down 35 cents. August soybeans closed at $14.42 per bushel, up 74 and a quarter cents. September oats closed at 389 and a half, up six cents. And that's the commodities update. 
Two Saskatchewan residents have been named semi-finalists on the Canadian Cattle Association's Canadian Cattle Young Leaders Program. Brooke Martin grew up on a commercial cow-calf operation north of Piapot, and Levi Hurlbert is from Moose Jaw, but grew up on a seed stock operation northwest of Saskatoon. Brooke Martin says she always loved being around cattle. I've always grown up loving animals and being out of town, really. I just love learning about um, the rangelands and how we can sustain the native rangelands. That's currently what I'm doing in my job right now. I went to school to be an environmental uh, reclamation technician, so I just love, love being outside and around animals and cattle and the people. Levi Hurlbert currently works with JGL Livestock in the Canadian Cattle Buyers Credit Division based in Moose Jaw. He says he enjoys every aspect of the ag industry, especially the end product on the dinner table. Well, definitely the end product, uh, you know, sitting down with some family or friends and having a good steak is always a highlight, but every aspect of it I really enjoy. Um, there's so much to learn and so much I, you think when you know something you always get humbled and really learn that you don't know nearly as much as you thought and it's really a lifelong industry that you can learn and keep growing in forever. Brooke and Levi will be attending the annual Canadian Young Leaders competition taking place on August 15th during the Canadian Beef Industry Conference in Calgary. Youth Leadership Coordinator with the Canadian Cattle Association Jessica Rado says the semi-finalists will participate in judged roundtable discussions on beef industry-related topics. We've got a room set up of about five or six roundtables, and at each of those roundtables is a timely topic in the beef industry, whether that's uh, in the past has been about succession planning, uh, technology and innovation, animal health, uh, financial literacy, etc. And at each of those tables, along with the topic, is uh, some of our generous program sponsor representatives and industry stakeholders that help judge and facilitate these roundtable discussions on that topic. So they sit with their peers for about 25 minutes discussing these topics, and then they rotate in a random order until they get through all of the tables. And although it seems like an intimidating process, we've had many people refer back to CYL selection as one of their highlights of being involved in the program. So we're really looking forward to it. She says the winners will be announced in the weeks following the conference, where they will earn a spot at next year's event, as well as being matched with a mentor. The winners will be awarded a spot in the upcoming program year where they'll be matched with a mentor for a nine-month period in their specific area of interest in the beef industry, as well as granted a $2,000 budget to put towards various travel and to see their mentors or take in industry events and fund those types of learning opportunities, as well as some different travel and, and networking that comes up along the way that's also offered. Semi-finalists were selected by a panel of judges who received 70 applications this year. Established in 2010, the Canadian Young Leaders Program welcomes young people between 18 and 35 years of age from across Canada, involved in all aspects of the beef industry, to build the next generation of leaders. Please stay tuned, your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. The Yorkton 4-H Show and Sale is being held next week in conjunction with the Yorkton Exhibition Summer Fair. 
Kiera Hauerluck of Sheho is one of the 4-H Advisory Council members for Northeast Saskatchewan. Yeah, we are showing on the 4th and the 5th, and then our steers will be selling at 5 on the 5th, so we really encourage everyone to come down and take a look. We have some really great animals selling from all the clubs, so that'll be a good thing to see. She outlines which 4-H clubs the steers and heifers will be coming from. So we have the Sheho Club, the Good Spirit Club, the Springside Club, and then there'll be a couple other clubs too. I just, there'll be about six or seven of us there. So there'll be a ton of animals there for everyone to come down and see. Howerluck notes some of the animals might look familiar to the general public. Yeah, totally. There will be some of the same ones that were at the Springster and Heifer Show that we had in April. There'll be a ton of the same ones that will be coming back, especially from our club. We have everyone coming back to do the same thing in Yorkton, so that'll be great. She tells us where you can see the steers and heifers. Oh, you can go to the egg pavilion, and then, yeah, we'll all be set up in there. Animals will be set up in stalls, so you can walk through the barns, and it'll be a great show. And Howerluck invites everyone to come check out their show. Everyone's welcome to come uh, watch everyone's show. It'll be a great show, and the steers sell at 5 again, so everyone should come out and support that because it's always a great sale. Kiara Howerluck is on the 4-H Advisory Council for Northeast Saskatchewan. Next Tuesday, July 4th, judging starts at 1 o'clock, followed by team grooming with a female show, then the heifer show around 3 p.m. On Wednesday, July 5th at 9 in the morning, it's the Clover Buds Showmanship, followed by groups of steers, then the steer show for junior, intermediate, and senior showmanship. The steer sale itself starts at 5 o'clock. The Yorkton branch of the Saskatchewan Institute of Agrologists is holding the Adopt Forage Variety Demo Crop Walk. You can join the Yorkton branch for coffee and donuts on the Adopt Forage Variety Demo Crop Walk led by Caitlin McMurphy, the Agri-Environmental Specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture based in Yorkton. It takes place Thursday, July 6th. It starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. You can see it at the Yorkton Chamber of Commerce, Crops of the Parkland site, northeast on the corner of intersection of Highway 16 and Highway 9. There is no cost, but you must register. The deadline is July 5th at noon. So you can, uh, for more information, you can contact Lees at 306-227-4554. The Manitoba government is asking for public feedback on proposed changes to the Agricultural Crown Lands Leases and Permits Regulation that would support improving forage productivity, growing the livestock industry, and advancing sustainability. Manitoba Agricultural Crown Lands are parcels of land vested to Manitoba that the government leases to producers for agricultural use, including grazing, haying, or annual cropping. In 2019, the program was updated significantly to enable leases to be allocated by auction and to set rents at market-based rates. Lease terms were set at 15 years and the ability to transfer a lease with the sale of private property was eliminated. The proposed amendments will be posted for a consultation. It lasts until July 17th. You can simply go to uh, the Manitoba government website to find more on that. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba.
Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly to mainly sunny, winds southwest at 10 to 20, a high of 28. For tonight, partly to mainly cloudy with just a 20% chance of showers toward morning. Winds southwest at 10 to 20, a low of 16. For Canada Day tomorrow, partly sunny with a 20% chance of scattered showers and thunderstorms. Winds south at 15 to 25, a high of 28, an overnight low of 16. For Sunday, mainly sunny, winds west at 15 to 30, a high of 29. For Monday, mainly sunny with a 20% chance of showers toward evening, a high of 25. Tuesday, mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers, a high of 18. In the Paw, it's 28 degrees, Swan River and Dauphin 27, Brandon 26, Show Lake Russell and Roblin 25. Regina is at 27, Saskatoon 30, Hudson Bay Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington 26, Broadview, Mooseman 24. The Yorkton, Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a west wind at 5 kilometers an hour. 40% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 26 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again on Tuesday at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX94. The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles.